consequences of sin. Now, earlier we talked about the, uh, the Mosaic law and said that that was the imputed sin. And the violation of the law is a sin. It's the law of God, which is the revelation of the word and the command of God. God made commands of how we were to be and what we were to do. And that was known as the law. So sin is the abiding and deep-seated refusal to, to obey God's instructions. Now earlier we stated that man's sin, and, and this is just what I would just say, it came in three reasoning facts of life. Number one was we inherited sin from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. We, we also had imputed sin, which was a, the uh, violation of the law we just talked about, from the Mosaic law back in the days of Moses. And finally, we have our personal sins. And our personal sins are closely uh, oriented with imputed sin because we know uh, the laws of God, yet we have personal sins that are in violation of the law also. So all sin is sin and within sin. And that's the reason I call it the sinfulness, the sinfulness of the world and if we don't have sin brought into some type of control, it will grow into a monster that nobody can, can control except the Lord God himself, which usually ends in destruction. Now, during this chapter, we want to look into the consequences of these sins. The last chapter, we brought out the point of the salvation through Jesus the Christ, God's only begotten Son. Now, that was this, uh, I introduced Jesus to, to the uh, lesson last chapter and we should learn uh, what God did and how he did to save us and that it's of him and by nothing that we have done of our own accord. Now the payment and solution for our sins as I said was accomplished through Jesus Christ and we are unable to reconcile ourselves any other way than through the work that Jesus performed on the cross at Calvary and it's, uh, it's uh, interesting to note also here God only recognizes man through the work that his son did on the cross. So without the cross of Jesus Christ, we can have nothing with God. People say that there are many gods that they uh, all lead to the same heavenly reward, and that's not true. Our God, the God Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, if you will, he has only one way that you can get to him and that's through his son because his son done so much and gave so much in his life and his suffering and the shedding of his blood and finally his death on that cross and humiliation and the things that he went through at, in Jerusalem that day uh, that God's not going to recognize any other way that's the only way that satisfied God and was that perpetuation for our sin that satisfied it in the sin debt Okay, so 6,000 years or more ago, uh, there's, there was nothing we could do then to fix it, and there's nothing we can do today. This imputed sin was committed against the law of God, and we have to say, what is the relationship of the law to God, and is God essentially separate from the law, and are the two fundamentally different? Or is there some connection between the two, such that to speak of the one is to speak of the other. Now, God's law is that which is determined to be good by God. Good does not determine God. 
good is not above God. And the reason I'm using the word good is because if you'll recall, uh, someone came up to Jesus and said, a good master or good teacher. And Jesus said, why dost thou call me good? There's only one that's good and that's God. So that's what we're saying here. So good does not determine God. God is not, or good is not above God. There is no standard that God follows, but God determines the good because of his nature. And remember, we talked about God's nature is who he is. That's where we come with that I am who I am, and that's what I am. Uh, that's his nature. He can never change that. So the law is not some concept of entity that is outside of God and guides his actions. But rather, God is the one who determines what law is. Law is what it, uh, what it is because God has determined it to be so. Next, we will see our personal sins. Personal sins is those sins that are committed by each of us and differ between individuals depending on our personality and in the consciousness of understanding of God. Willful sins against God's law that we commit consciously knowing they are wrong. Okay, that's our personal sins. God determines the essence of law. Therefore, law is a reflection of his nature and will and there is no division, no division, no tension between the two. If there is God, there is a law. If there is law, then there must be God. So law is a verbal extension, the revelation of who or what God is. God does not arbitrarily create law. Rather, law is an expression of him, of his own essence. In other words, God, the law was given to Moses and the Israelites because that's who God was. That was what he, uh, his rules of, of life. That's the rules of his nature. So the law is consistent with God and not contrary to the person of God. So individual people sin constantly against the laws of God. This is because of our human uh, fallen state that we're in. We cannot stop ourselves from sinning and breaking God's law. So is there a solution to this? Yes, by all means. It is performed through the Holy Spirit. The third part of the Trinity, which we'll get into later, we have to look at all these points of correction before we can come to the consequence of what if. The concept of right or wrong, therefore, is dependent upon an objective standard and external authority. It is something that is outside of us something which governs us, not really a something, but a someone. For God is the objective standard, okay? Our purpose, as you know, is when we become um, Christians and we accept Jesus Christ and believe in him, our objective is to, be, to become or try to become as much like Jesus as we can. This is to to uh, push ourselves to the objective standard of being like God. Now, we're not never going to be like that, not in this human, human state. And we'll find later that that's the, uh, the futuristic part of our salvation. Okay, the being and authority of the law is the relationship of law to God. It is, a, it is from above, separate from human dimension. 
It is not subject to the adjustments of men, but is the infallible guide. Okay, so if I say the adjustments of men, that means we can change it, but in God's eyes, his law is infallible, and it is an infallible guide, an infallible guide for men. Okay, it's not for God, it's for men. God is law, and God rules over man. So to disobey the law is to be a lawbreaker. Now, we all realize that. It is to be guilty of lawlessness. It is to live with no regard for the word of God. It is to live as though there was no law. In the Apostle Paul's day, he wrote these words. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's been at work, but it continues to get worse. Now, we find this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. And also, he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 19, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Now, that's what I just said. Lawlessness was in the days of Paul, which was back around A.D. 60, somewhere in that area. And thousands of years later, the lawlessness is still with us. Because it's never going to end until either we die and go to be with Jesus or Jesus comes to the earth and sets up his kingdom. At that point, lawlessness will end because the perfect order of the law of God through Jesus Christ, the king, will come to overshadow or to be the ruling authority of the earth and those people that believe in it and they're here. And we call that the millennial period is uh, described in Revelations. Okay, so Matthew 7, 23, Jesus tells that on the last day, the day of judgment, he will address some as you workers of lawlessness. This lawlessness is consistently exposed and condemned in Scripture. Okay, that's what we were just talking about. It is consistently exposed, okay, and it is condemned. So if you're ever wondering about your lawlessness being against God, there's your answer. Your, your lawlessness is exposed. We can't hide our sin or our lawlessness from God, and it's condemned by the Word of God. Sin is a violation of the law and before the law. Man is guilty and must be held accountable, which leads to the consequences of sin. Now, the consequences of sin, as many Christians know, is what God referred to as a second death. Okay, he, he, he referred to that in the days of Adam, in the very beginning. And the second death is the, the, uh, the final eternal place for Satan and his angels, which is the lake of fire. Okay, so let's look at an evaluation of self, evaluation of ourself. The problem of man is man. Man is preoccupied with himself. Okay? All I'd invite you to do is turn on your television and sit there for a few minutes and watch all the particular uh, advertisements that come on. And the advertisements are those things that the world pushes at you and say you ought to have some of this. And it's all about what you look like, uh, uh, staying young as long as you can, getting all the pretty things in life and living a life that most people can't even afford. And then when they portray an advertisement for a, uh, a deodorant or, or some, some, some uh, 
thing there for the house, like detergents or something like that. They always have like a house that looks like a mansion. Well, I'm here to tell you that most people in the world do not live in that type of environment. I know I don't, and I know people that are listening to me around the world, I don't think they do either. Now, some people do have homes that look like that and the beauty, and I, and I praise God for them, and, and God uh, bless them, and if they know Jesus Christ, God bless them. Man himself is the center of his own world. Now, what I'm, what the reason I said that is because of that very statement. They want you to be the center of your world. They want you to concentrate on yourself because you're the most important thing in the world to the world, okay? Especially in the, in the world of advertisement and buying and spending money. If you notice every time they have a, a catastrophe, it's not about how many, I mean, don't get me wrong now, they do say that so many people were uh, killed or injured in, in certain accidents, but they always put a dollar figure on the amount of damage because the world and the global economy is, world, is ruled by money. And that's one of the things that's going to happen as we come to the tribulation era. Uh, the next thing to happen is going to be a one world government. Now from the world man covets and seeks to obtain that which gratifies itself, himself, evaluating the people of the world as insignificant when compared to him. For only his personal passions and pressing needs are worthy of consideration. Now ask yourself, do you know anybody like this? Do you know anybody that fits that description? His personal passion and pressing needs are worthy of consideration for only himself. The individual, at least in his mind, is superior to all things and all other individuals. Self is not external, but rather internal to man or each person. So self is directly against God because Jesus told us to love others as we love ourselves. And if an individual is in, uh, in his mind, he's a superior being over everybody else, then he does not have the love for other people in his heart. So this self is man, sinful man, deprived man, the soul that is set on evil. Man and his self are not separate, but are one and the same. Man's greatest enemy is himself, but he has no perception of this fact, or is it uh, because he suppresses this fact as described in Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, because of the sinful nature of man himself, he is always seeking that which brings gratification to himself. This orientation towards self and his desire and lust to satisfy himself, or should we just call it the flesh, is an orientation away. Okay, I it's an orientation away from God, not coming to God, but away from God. So the orientation towards oneself would be the orientation towards self means that man is in love with himself. He idolizes himself and adores the image in the mirror, okay? And today we see that growing and growing as we see more uh, people that just love taking pictures of themselves and putting them out there for the public and the sinful, uh, evil uh, sin sinfulness of the world captivates on those portraits and, and the next thing you know you have a crime at another level 
you know, of uh, exportation, stalking, and all kinds of different things as people, who knows the heart of man, the evilness in the heart of man. That's what Jeremiah said. The adoration is not superficial, but is a profound worship at the deepest level that controls every aspect of living. It is self-love. It is a desire to satisfy self, the desire to use things and people for yourself, the willingness to put down others, even God, in order to build up yourself and justify personal passions and actions. These are serious sins that are in the world today that we're dealing with and man, irregardless of what people think or what they say, this is man in his worst condition. But I need to say this, he's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, folks. And you cannot, it's not wrong for you to love yourself because Jesus said you should love your, you love your neighbors, okay, love others as you love yourself. So Jesus realized that you love yourself. You, you don't want harm or disaster to come to yourself so think of other people the same way don't use them as a stepping stone to achieve your passions and your personal uh, goals in life so self-love is self-lust the sinful evaluation uh, of self at all cost and without regard to other considerations paul speaks of those who will be lovers of self in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 and according to the prophet Isaiah we have turned everyone to his own way Isaiah 53 verse 6 and the way to which man has turned is the way of himself none of us want to hear bad news especially about ourselves yet that's exactly what God's message tells us when it says we are sinners and in the end are condemned to the fires of hell. The Bible teaches that if you do not accept and do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you are condemned already. We want to hear positive words on our position in this world, not negative statements like above, like I just said. We will never admit true position as seen by God until he reveals to us through the Holy Spirit that we are wicked and sinful. And that portion of this can never occur until man has the thought process to realize that God is real and that he is in charge, uh, is the ruling authority of his creation, and that there is a accountability, if you will, for sin, and it has to be paid for, and man can't do it. So, when that man realizes his condition, he, he will seek God. God says, if you will seek me, I will be found. And the Holy Spirit of God will draw you to the point of uh, repentance. And at that point, you can accept Jesus Christ, believing in him, and everything in this whole situation changes to the positive aspect instead of the negative. So years ago, a gentleman published a very popular book, and it became a hit. And a lot of you probably remember it. It was called Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. Now, this book related that positive thinking through ourselves can bring happiness and satisfaction to the individual person. It uh, taught psychological positioning of your thoughts and what you thought of yourself could change your, your physical being. 
that through the mental process of believing in God and through prayerful thinking in God's word, one could be uplifted psychologically and spiritually. Friends, that is, <laughs> that's the uh, constant, that's calling or seeking God, if you will, and the Holy Spirit uh, lifting up in a very um, psychological state, I think. Uh, I, I bought that book myself and read it, and it did help because it wasn't because of Dr. Peel, what he wrote. Uh, it was his direction of, of, the God, of the Scripture of God. It was the Scriptures that gave the power. It was the Holy Spirit through God's Word that gave us the power or gave us the uh, spiritual uplifting. It wasn't anything that he did as a doctor. So our lives here on earth is not to satisfy ourselves and see how good we can be and what all we can have and so forth and so on and how beautiful we think we might be. But instead, it is about God and what he thinks. We need to realize that this time that we're spending on earth is only a glimpse of time in the eternal picture. This positioning that we're in now, in this part of our lives, or in this part of creation, if, if I may, uh, is only temporary. God is using this, or this is the plan of God, I, I think, from the very beginning, is that this is a staging, I call it the staging event, where we can say, yes, I believe in God, or no, I don't believe in God. And he's going to separate um, the goats from the sheep. Okay, or some, something of that nature, the good from the evil. Uh, Satan's people are going to go one way and God's people are going to go the other way. But it leads, this temporary time that we have on earth is leading to the eternal rest that we as believers in Jesus Christ will be with him and with God in the heavenly kingdom or in God, Christ's kingdom forever forever to be with him. There will be no more sin, no pain, no suffering, no death. We will have an eternal life with God, the original way, original way that he planned it to begin with. Positive reinforcement as taught in positive thinking can enhance one's spiritual self, but it's done through God's word and not through what Dr. Peel wrote. So nothing pleases man more than the comments and talk that tickles the pride and causes an internal itch that reaches to the bone and results in, look at me. Look at me. Look at what I did. Now, when we look at ourselves, generally, not everyone fits this mold. We don't start with a negative and then build up to a positive. We, as mere man, have always been taught since birth about being full of pride and building a good self-image, this being true in most cases, but there are always a few exceptions. God, in most cases, is not considered, and his word is not reviewed in a proper, or excuse me, his word is not viewed in a proper respect to modern living. Man, when looking into the mirror, should see a deprived and damned sinner, and nothing can be affirmed about him in his natural state. He should not be seeing a beautiful uh, person that he thinks he might be. He sees the man the way that God sees him, if you look at it that way. He's deprived, sinful, and he's condemned or damned as a sinner. Man continues, and in most cases always viewed himself 
as inherently good or at least neutral in the worst possible scenario. I've met people like that and, and they said, no, I, you know, I'm a good man. I've always done this and I paid my taxes and I took care of my family and did all this stuff. And uh, the other one says, you know, I always treated people, people well. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been neutral about everything. I didn't ever do this or that and da, 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 da. And so they do that in their life and they think that that's okay. But let me just say this. Your body, when you look in the mirror, is a physical, the physical. The physical part of man is already condemned because of what Adam did in the, in the Garden of Eden. Your physical body can never have anything to do with God. Paul says that the, the uh, physical body can never enter into heaven or something like that. And what I'm trying to say here is that our relationship with God is not physical but spiritual. It's spiritual. So you as a spiritual man, you as a man in your completeness, you're a sinner. Your body's going to die and turn back into the earth. Your soul is going to go to be uh, judged or condemned. Or is it going to be saved? So that's a question we have. We have the willpower to make that decision. Uh, man will never admit or realize his true position. Okay? As a wicked sinner... He is condemned at birth with spiritual death. You were condemned when you were born. Now let me just say this. From the point that you were born, even though you were born as a, uh, a sinner, you're not aware that you're a sinner until you come to the age of accountability. So before then, uh, the children, the little children, go to be with God because they don't know, they haven't come to the point of realizing right from wrong. And those, when they become uh, old enough to know that, they have to make a choice, just like the adults do, about how they're going to accept Christ or not. So when we think on the phrase of know yourself, we only reflect on the here and now from a physical plane. And we concentrate on the physical needs, not really thinking spiritually, and what the spirit needs are. So basic necessities, food, shelter, and clothing, is number one. Then we focus on jobs, relationships, and all the luxuries of life. That's the physical aspect. Only in the Word of God can man find a true description of himself, as we just described, because it is truth from God and not from man. I always like to think that if man could control all the aspects of the body and soul, then why suffer death? If we, could, if we had control over all that, uh, we'd never die. Because the Bible teaches that man can only destroy the body. But God has control over the body and the soul. So therefore, through physical death, one soul will return to the Lord God, the Creator, and because of sin, it is condemned to hell for eternal punishment. And some may be asking, why is that rule? Why does it have to be that? Because God is perfect and sinless, and if you are still sinful in your sin, you cannot be with him you go into outer darkness, and that's how you take care of uh, diseases. So we talked about earlier about like when they used to have the black plague and stuff in the ancient world. Uh, they had to burn the bodies to destroy the um, the virus or the infection. So God's point is He puts the sin in the fire, but it's never burned up. 
the person knows that he is in outer darkness. He suffers the, the pain, the gnashing of teeth, and so forth. So man cannot and has never been able to rescue himself from his fallen down spiral, if you will. Man is unable to master himself. His mere soul of self is a complete unmanageable monster desiring pleasure in things which can never satisfy. So man has a desire to have more and more and more, and the more he gets, the more he wants because he's never satisfied because the satisfaction of man is supposed to be the Spirit of God. Once man has the Spirit of God and the knowledge and wisdom of God, he then can turn around and say, I'm satisfied because I know the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the spiritual satisfaction. It is not the physical things that you have in earth that you, that you feed this monster with all the things that you can get your hands on in the physical realm because all of that's going to be burned up. That's not going to be everlasting. God, your soul is going to be everlasting. Man has a spiritual soul, a spiritual hole, if you will, in his being. And that's what we're just saying, that when created by God, the Father, he was filled with the Spirit of God. But because of sin, there is only a huge hole that can never be filled by man alone. Okay, that's just what I'm just saying. In order for God to return and fill the hole in the man's soul, the sin in man must be dealt with and destroyed, and man is unable to accomplish this. If man could do this on his own, then Jesus would not have been needed. But it is impossible for man to save himself. Man does not have the desire nor the ability to crucify the self, okay, within him. It is impossible for man to put self to death. It must be crucified in and with another. For man has not the capability or the capacity to control nor to terminate his sinful nature. He cannot do this. In seeking the satisfaction of self, there's the inability to love the family and the neighbor. Nothing is of any value except the satisfaction of oneself. Thus, there is nothing to give to others, for it all selfishly kept for self. You don't share, you keep it all for you. There is the inability to serve and help others because there is the belief that someone else should be helping and serving and not me. So lost is the Christian concept of servanthood in the world today. Self-assertion of the natural man and the servanthood of Christ that is required in the life of the believer cannot be reconciled. They are essential enemies without any common ground. The self must be crucified. In the sinful uh, elevation of yourself, the larger number suffer. Others are sacrificed for personal interest. Okay, Adam affected the race when he chose the forbidden fruit, and the race suffers the consequences of the action of the one individual. Self-elevation not only brings ruin to the person, but its manifestation negatively affects everyone who is touched by its contamination. Now, having said all that, let me try to explain that in the business world today, uh, men of this magnitude, this self-image uh, of them, they have a, a uh, mission in their mind to 
a desire to reach to the top of their uh, formidable ladder in their business, whatever it may be, the CEO or whatever, whatever it could be. So they are willing to step on and wreck the lives of other people to get to where they want. That's exactly what that's talking about. And people do that in all different areas and realms of life. Now, this uh, message that we have here, this uh, lesson is going to be cut in half. We're going to be part one and part two. We just finished part one. And we'll pick up next time in part two with the orientation away from God. We talked about self and the orientation to self, away from self, and so forth. And now we're going to look at that perspective away from God. So until we meet again next time, I pray that God will be with you and bless you richly. Let's have our closing prayer.